There are lots of people out there who will tell us that we shouldn't be looking at pornography, but there aren't many people showing us how to finally break free of porn. Without a mentor, without a guide, it's easy to get stuck in hopelessness and shame. The Freedom to Love podcast is here to be your mentor and your guide. We want to provide you with practical strategies and techniques to live free of porn forever. Then you'll be free to experience the love you really desire. Welcome back to the Freedom to Love podcast. My name is Jeremy Rohr. I'm the founder of Freedom to Love. We are a ministry that's devoted to mentoring young men to find freedom from pornography and sexual sin. We are wrapping up a series here with my pastor, Father Brian Park. He's the pastor at St. Michael Catholic Church in St. Michael, Minnesota. And we've been talking about tools and graces that God provides to help us in the journey of growing in spiritual maturity. And so far, we've talked about some of the different natural and supernatural tools that are available to us. We've looked at how a daily prayer life can help us to receive God's grace and remain close to him. Last time we talked about how do we use confession and the sacrament of reconciliation effectively to grow in holiness. And we want to conclude this series this week with looking at the sacrament of the Eucharist and how that plays a role in living the liturgical life. And it becomes a rhythm, the ongoing experience of staying close to Jesus. And so, Father Brian, I'll I'll throw it over to you. Let's look at this sacrament of the Eucharist and on this journey of finding freedom from habitual sin. What encouragement would you give to young people? The Second Vatican Council said that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. It all comes back to the Eucharist. Everything flows from the Eucharist. It's the source, and everything flows back to the Eucharist. It's the summit. If I want to overcome habitual sin in my life, I have to stay close to Jesus in the Eucharist. I have to. Because the Eucharist is Jesus. It is the sacrament of sacraments. It is the greatest gift that Jesus left his church as that primary way to fulfill that promise that he's going to be with us to the end of time. And there's so much grace in the sacrament of the Eucharist. In a worthy reception of Holy Communion, I'll often say after I receive communion, I'll say, remember, Brian, one communion can make you a saint. There's enough grace in one communion to make you a saint. If I just would be open enough to receive that grace and cooperate with that grace. So stay close to the Eucharist. How do we do that? Well, first and foremost, we go to Mass every Sunday. We go to Holy Days of Obligation. Every time there's a Holy Day, which is only just a couple times a year, there's a Holy Day of Obligation. But I go to Mass every Sunday. Sunday Mass should be a non-negotiable in my life. It's not a question of if I'm going to go to Mass this Sunday. The question is, when am I going to go? Am I going to go Saturday night for the vigil? Am I going to go Sunday morning? Am I going to go Sunday evening? A lot of parishes have all those options, or parishes in the area will often have all different options if you're in especially a metro area. When am I going to go to Mass? My whole week revolves around Sunday. Sunday is the most important day of the week because it's the day when we celebrate the Sunday liturgy, the Sunday Eucharist. It's got to be the anchor of my week, the celebration of the Eucharist on Sunday. We talked about confession last time and the importance of always receiving the Eucharist in the state of grace, of course, when I'm at Mass, to receive the Eucharist in a worthy state. And if I'm not in a worthy state, I still got to go to Mass on Sunday. 
And those are the times and those moments when I shouldn't receive communion at mass, but make a spiritual communion and then get the confession as soon as you can so that you can come back to communion. Along with Sunday mass, I highly encourage daily mass. I know depending on people's schedules and work and school and location, sometimes daily mass is more easier for some. I just can't encourage it enough. Even if, can you get one extra mass in during the week? Along with Sunday Mass, is there one time you go to daily Mass? Just once? Even just, just start there. Oh, well, I can't go the other six days of the week, so I won't go at all. Well, again, start small, baby steps. Can I get to one extra Mass during the week to stay close to Jesus in the Eucharist? What's the famous expression you hear these days from oftentimes lukewarm Catholics, non-practicing Catholics? When you ask them about the Mass, they say, the Mass is boring. Mass is boring. It's so boring. It's dry. Anyone who says the Mass is boring has no idea what he or she is talking about. They're bored because they don't know Jesus. They don't know the power of the Mass. They don't know the power of the Eucharist, the power of the Scriptures. And that's a sad thing. And so one of the great ways to, if I find Mass to be a boring thing, then you got to study. Do you really know what's happening at Mass? Because the more you study the Mass and what's actually happening there, the more you're going to come to appreciate that this is not boring. This is the greatest way to encounter Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's a lot of great books out there on the Mass. Dr. Edward Shree's book, A Biblical Walk Through the Mass, is great. Scott Hahn's got great. The Lamb's Supper is a famous book by Scott Hahn on the Eucharist. There's tons of great books on the... Jeff Cavins has got a lot of great stuff on the Eucharist. Tons and tons of great stuff on the Eucharist to help you come to understand the Mass more. One way, too, to help grow in your love for the Mass is to grow to love the liturgical seasons, the liturgical calendar that the, that the Mass celebrates every day, getting to know the feast days and the solemnities and memorials and the different seasons and the reasons the church celebrates these things. My primary calendar that I live by is, is the liturgical calendar. That, that's the calendar I live my life by. I know that December 8th is Immaculate Conception and that January 25th is the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. And that 40 days after Easter is Ascension Thursday, and Pentecost is nine days after that, the 50th day of Easter, August 15th is Assumption of Mary, November 1st, All Saints. The calendar is my life. That's my life. And that as I live the liturgical seasons, I live the liturgical calendar, specifically by coming to Sunday Mass and Daily Mass, it helps form me into a person that's always centered on the liturgy, always centered on the Eucharist. So especially, yeah, Sunday Mass, Daily Mass, live in the liturgical seasons, live in liturgical life is a great way to grow in virtue and give you strength to overcome habitual sin. Yeah, I remember being younger and I did find Mass boring. I did find the liturgical aspect of the Mass to be a turnoff. I, as I've gotten older, I appreciate that rhythm, the seasons that we have a time that we prepare for Christmas. We go into a little bit of a lull of ordinary time, and then we go move into Lent, and, and we prepare once again to experience conversion and a rebirth in Jesus on, on Easter. And then the church gives us Easter longer than Lent. There's that celebration there. And I've come to really appreciate that. And you talked earlier about uh, Scott Hahn, Dr. Scott Hahn, and I remember hearing him share in his conversion testimony when he was considering becoming Catholic and he'd sit in the back of church. He is a evangelical pastor, was so surprised, one, at just how lackluster Catholics were sitting in Mass, 
but two, that they weren't aware of how much scripture was actually in the liturgy. And so I love that you encourage us to take some time to read, to study, to get to know the liturgy. Can you talk a little bit for someone that's not familiar with Eucharistic adoration, what that is, how that helps us, and in just a little bit of approaching it reverently so that we are respectful of, of the sacrament? So we believe that when the priest calls down the Holy Spirit on the bread and the wine at Mass, it's transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Not just for the Mass, but now, as long as that bread and wine is there, that the accents of bread and wine are there, then Jesus is there. And so that's why when Mass, after communion's over, we will usually consume any of the precious blood still remaining, but we take the, the remaining hosts and we put them in a tabernacle. And that's Jesus present in that tabernacle, because that's the Eucharist in there. And sometimes we'll even take one a host out and we'll put it in this kind of sun-shaped gold thing, oftentimes called a monstrance. Monstrance comes from the Latin word monstrare, which means to show. And we show Jesus. We put him in the monstrance so that people can see the Blessed Sacrament. And so the church says anytime we spend time in prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament, whether it be in a tabernacle or in a monstrance, that's called adoration. And it's a great way to pray. There's these extra graces that can come by simply just being in the presence of the Lord, in his sacramental, substantial presence in the Eucharist. Is praying at home, in my living room, a good thing? Absolutely. But I would encourage our listeners, especially for, again, I'm struggling with some kind of habitual sin, to make sure you're getting some time of prayer every week in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It's a great tradition in the church where people do a holy hour once a week. A holy hour is an expression of an hour of prayer in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Again, either in a tabernacle or in, in, in a monstrance, both are adoration, both are equally good. It's not one is better than the other. And take some time to pray. Sometimes people, you're asking about postures and reverence. When I, Anytime I'm in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance or a tabernacle, the church asks me to genuflect when I first come into that presence to go down on my right knee. And then when I'm going to leave the presence of the Lord in the Eucharist to, to genuflect again before leaving as a way to, shine, to show reverence that God is truly present in the most blessed sacrament before me. It's a great way to pray. A great analogy for me of adoration when I'm in front of the blessed sacrament, Jesus is the son of God. This is one of the good things about English, that he is the S-O-N of God. What happens when you spend time in the presence of the S-U-N, the Son? If you spend time in the presence of the Son, you're changed. And if you spend a long time in front of the Son, you might get sunburned. Yeah. Now, you may not notice it in the very moment, but later on in the afternoon, you come back, you, you spend a couple hours at the beach, then you, you go back in for lunch or dinner or something. And then later in the evening, you're like, whoa, I'm a little red. I'm a little sore. Why is that? Because you were changed. Being in the presence of the S-U-N can change you, just like being in the presence of the S-O-N will change you. Absolutely. You become like the people you hang out with. And so hanging out with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is a great way to become more like him. And I think for me personally, over the years, I love to just lay down my guard and say, Lord, you know me. I tend to try to 
fake myself out and pretend that I'm I'm better than I am. And Lord, just help me to become aware of those next steps, what you're calling me to. And God is gentle. God is very nurturing in those moments that we make ourselves vulnerable. And that is the beauty of the Blessed Sacraments. So again, summarizing, Sunday Mass is non-negotiable. That's what I hear you saying. Get to daily Mass when we can. Holy Day is obligation, non-negotiable. And then making sure that if Mass is boring for us, we're not just sitting in that, that we're taking the time to learn. For some reason, this has been the core of our faith for 2,000 years. That's fascinating to actually go back and read scripture and see that what we do in the liturgy, the first apostles did, right? And then finally begin to experience, if you haven't yet, the power and the transformation that can come through prayer and the blessed sacrament. Any final thoughts, Father? One final thing I want to talk about that's in just in the in the battle for purity, for holiness, for chastity is the importance of a, we talked about the rosary in earlier podcasts and the Blessed Virgin Mary. I do want to make sure we emphasize the importance of St. Joseph Mm. and a strong devotion to St. Joseph and asking for his prayers and his help. Remember, St. Joseph was not immaculately conceived. (laughs) So he experienced the effects of original sin, but still lived an incredibly virtuous, holy life. One of the greatest saints in the history of church. I mean, it's arguable that next to the Blessed Virgin Mary, he is the greatest saint. In the history of the church. And we know so little about him, but think about, especially in regard to chastity, remember, Joseph and Mary lived a celibate marriage, this very mystical, special celibate marriage. Joseph was married to the most beautiful woman that God ever created. She was perfect. And therefore, Her beauty was not just an interior beauty. It would have been a physical beauty. So he was married to the most beautiful woman in all of human history, and he never touched her in a sexual way. That takes tremendous chastity, tremendous virtue. And so if you're struggling to live a chaste relationship with your girlfriend, if you're struggling in any way with chastity, turn to St. Joseph, say, St. Joseph, pray for me. Help me with your prayers that I might be chased like you were. That's wonderful. Father, would you close us in a blessing? Absolutely. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the gift of your love. We thank you for the gift of your grace. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray in a special way for all those who struggle with habitual sin, especially sins against chastity. Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace to be free. Lord, your word says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, and that the truth will set you free. Lord, I pray for all those who are in bondage to sin, that they may know the the gift of freedom that you want to give them. Help them be disciplined in putting these practices in their life to experience more of your grace and your healing so they might experience the freedom that Jesus longs to give them. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Again, if you need more information, want to learn more about our ministry, you can find us at freedomtolove.org. Until next time, God bless, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Love podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and share us with a friend. 
Until next time, remember what St. Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatians. Brothers, you were called for freedom. God bless.